dialogue with business owners just like you. Peer Talk conversations run the gamut of business challenges facing owners today. The host of Peer Talk is Dan Crowley, founder and owner of Peer Executive Groups, which provides a safe space for owners to share their experience, grow their businesses, and learn from their peers. Okay, welcome to Peer Talk. There are a number of great business owners out there, just like yourself, who would love to share their experiences with you, and we hope to give them a voice. Uh, welcome, everyone. My name is Dan Crowley, and I'm the host of Peer Talk. Today, we have Josh Nickel with us for part two of our podcast that discussed succession and exit. This is the exit portion. Welcome, Josh. Glad to be here. <laughs> so where we left off in part one, um, you had joined a peer group. You were the CEO of your company. It's expanding rapidly. What was, when you first started thinking about exit or looking at your options around staying in business and or selling the business, what, 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 was, what were some of the catalysts that got you to that place? Yeah, so um, what I don't think anybody really knows, except for maybe people on the team, is that we considered selling the business in uh, 2006, 2007. Um, hmm. While I, I really enjoyed the business and dad did as well, you know, it just seemed like a good market, a good economy, and something worth considering, you know. And so uh, we went with a company called Generational Equity, and the process wasn't really what we hoped. Um, but we did end up having some conversations a- around the idea. And so we had considered it as far back as then to see, do we want to go down the exit path or do we want to go down the growth path? Um, you know, and really from there, that's when we made the decision that we wanted to go down the growth path. Fast forward, you um, a number of years, you know, things were going really well. We were growing very quickly. Um, I was very much enjoying the work and the team. If you had asked me um, in 2017 what I was going to do with the rest of my life, I could have told you. You know, we, we had it mapped out. We had it planned. We were doing exciting things and we were going to continue to ride this horse and, and do some awesome stuff. Um, at, the, at the same time, um, you know, we wanted to continue to grow and we were doing it very quickly. And in the rental industry, that is incredibly cash intensive. And so we couldn't keep doing that the way that we were doing it. And, you know, as I I mentioned in the succession thing, we were doing a lot of this off of my dad's retirement. You know, he had everything invested in the business. And so that was incredibly high risk for him. And uh, as a leadership team, you know, we had a lot of tough conversations about what do we want to do? Where do we want to take this? You know, because really there's two options um, or two really specific options. One is we just stagnate. You know, we, we you know, try and run flat except for like cost of living increases and stuff like that, pay off the equipment. And then, you know, then we'll be, you know, really profitable, really effective, really efficient, um, you know, and, and that, that is a great way to run a business on many levels. Um, but is that what the leadership team that we had built wants? You know, the other option is that you continue to grow, but if we want to continue to grow, we can't continue to grow the way that we're doing it right now, because that is not going Mm -hmm. to get us to that next level. Um, and you know, at that point, I want to say we were back to three stores, maybe at four stores again, um, doing really well, lots of runway, but cash was going to be a problem. We were going to run out of cash if we continued to grow rapidly. And so as a leadership team, Um, we made the decision together to pursue, you might call it an exit, but we weren't really pursuing an exit at the time. We were pursuing private equity. 
um, we wanted to continue to grow and we thought we had something that we could take to a much larger level. And we wanted to try and do that. And so uh, mm-hmm. we talked to dad about it. And, you know, the, the, the goal and the design was that I would keep all of my equity in and that uh, we would try and get him paid out as much as he could um, so that he would have that, you know, retirement nest egg and he wouldn't have that risk. And that, you know, if, if we one day messed it up and, and went too far or grew too fast or crashed and burned, that'd be on us. And that's okay. And we can take that risk because um, mm-hmm. we were much younger. And so we went out to the, the private equity markets and, and hired uh, a team of people to help us through that process. And we're very intentional through that process. Um, and, you know, that kind of gets us to that exit stage. And I'll pause there because I know some of the other questions will lead us into um, what actually happened through that, that stage and through that transition. Well, this is very interesting for me to hear this because, um, you know, this is something I've been active with in my career is, you know, exiting someone from a business that's grown almost too big for the minority shareholder to, um, you know, take the lead and, and be the financier and, and buy out the parent or buy out the larger shareholder. Um, and so there are family, you know, uh, geez, family business uh, operations and there's, um, now I'm actually thinking of uh, private equity and, and different mechanisms where they would come in and buy out, um, but keep a key person in place have them continue to have minority share of equity and and operate the business together. Um, and so anyway, it's very interesting uh, that you guys were looking down that path. And, and so with the advisory board, they were in on it the whole time. They were having conversations with you about what that might look like to have private equity investment. When you say advisory board, do you mean leadership team or? Yeah, leadership. I meant leadership team. Sorry. Yes. I did not make decisions uh, without the leadership team. Uh, I am a big, a big believer in transparency. We shared the financials very broadly. Uh, We shared our plans and our strategy very broadly. We didn't um, share to the average employee a private equity decision. Sure. Um, we did share it with a few, but we felt like that could concern some people. And so we did mm-hmm. hold that a little bit closer to the vest. Um, but all of the branch managers, all of that type of leadership team uh, were very much in that decision with me throughout the entire time. Um, it was the only time that our um, uh, private equity consultant, I guess, or broker, I'm not sure what you'd call them, uh, where all of them were in the room every time when we were having the discussions, whether it was valuation, whether it was um, what we're asking for, whether it was how to build um, the financials in the next five years, they knew exactly what my payout was going to be and exactly what my dad's payout was going to be in every situation that we were discussing. Um, And it was never a problem. They knew what I made. They knew what everybody else on the team, the leadership team made. Um, it was just, we knew that we, our collective intelligence was going to be better than anybody's singular intelligence. And I, I didn't need to be the most intelligent guy in the room. I wanted a room full of people who were on board this with me, who were going to help me solve the, the difficult problems. Excellent. And, and I know that when people do start to think about, um, exit, just like they do with their homes, they have a tendency to go through a little bit of spring cleaning. They have a tendency to, you know, shine the penny up, right. Uh, for external you guys obviously were very practiced at going through your SWAT and knowing where your strengths lied and, and those things. 
how did that all play into well you had to determine your value so first off how how did you determine uh the value of your business when you consider the pluses and minuses and the um districts so i'll answer both parts of the the shining the penny and the value part so the shining the penny we were doing constantly because you know to really run the business effectively we needed to shine the penny we didn't have dirty laundry we didn't really have Mm. hidden things now certainly there were probably some owner expenses that were rolled in and we had to adjust for some of those things but for the most part there was not not a lot of penny shining to go and then on the valuation side of things um it was the, I think the biggest thing for, for, uh, for me and the leadership team was to make sure that dad got a, a fair shtick in his part of it. I wasn't super concerned. Um, the leadership team wasn't super concerned with what that meant for the, re- I say not what that meant for the rest of us, because we needed enough control to do something. But mm-hmm. um, we knew that we could you know do really well for somebody else and that our actions mm-hmm. would speak for that and we wanted to be poised to immediately take advantage of it we had a list of acquisition opportunities we had a list of where all the new branches would go we had a list of how much inventory we would need what the inventory would need be and what the cost was we were just ready um to do it and then as you know in evaluation process um you're really you're only worth what somebody will pay Um, and so we needed to see what people were willing to pay and we didn't lead with a value. We knew we needed a big enough value to pay off the debt and give dad a nest egg. Um, and he had a range. I don't remember what that was that, that would make him kind of feel comfortable that we were aiming for. But as long as we could get more than that range, we were just going to go with the best private equity partner. Now, keeping in mind when you do a true exit, like we'll talk about with Sunbelt, it's very different financially from a, private equity exit. You know, private equity is not going to invest nearly as much um, in paying you out in, in a situation like that, which was why I was going to retain all of my equity and roll it into the new organization. Um, hmm. th- their their sales pitch and, and what we wanted was that your value is going to come from your growth and you standing behind what you say you can do and that we can do more together than you can do on your own versus a true traditional exit, which says, this is the most value you're ever going to get out of the company. We're going to give it to you right now. Um, and now the company is not yours kind of thing. And so we knew mm-hmm. we would get a lower valuation with private equity. We were just aiming to get enough valuation to make sure that it was fair to my dad um, as we moved down that path. Well, it's fascinating that you um, were so clearly identifying where you're going to go with the company. So it's very different than what I've seen with exit planning in the past and, you know, things I've done with different operators in the industry um, in that you're like, hey, we have a business plan. We're going somewhere. This is what's going to happen. Come along and be part of it. Um, It's a very different exit discussion than, you know, like you just shared, which is, hey, we're going to just exit. Let's get the highest value uh, for the for the money. And um and see if we can get the offer price above value, basically. So mm-hmm. um, interesting. So you, so how did what was that path like with with private equity? Did you have an, a number of conversations, or how did that work? So uh, you know, one of the first things I did actually, uh, as you know, was call you and pick your brain on it, um, mm-hmm. and then uh, call some of the other you know, vendors that we'd built relationships with that we really trusted and other people in our peer group and, 
you know, again, going back to relationships and partnerships and vendors were very important to us. And so they knew Mm -hmm. what was going on and who was doing what and where to go. And so we leveraged a lot of those relationships. And and, and honestly, it was valuable to them too. If Nickel Rental kept growing and we went from four stores to 12 stores in a period of two years, we were going to buy a bunch of equipment from them, you know? So, so they were very supportive of that. Um, made a lot, they made a lot of introductions. We even talked to some potential strategic buyers, um, where we would be part of a larger company, but not quite as large as a Sunbelt or United mm-hmm. and have some opportunity to do some things. But, you know, that was very on in our private equity search. And, you know, we really wanted to draw that search out and see if we could do something different. We felt like we had a niche that we could exploit and that we could exploit long term. Um, and we also felt on some level that time is of the essence. Um, Somebody is going to figure this out. Somebody is going to uh, nationally target small and mid-sized contractors well and not be just like, another Sunbelt or United or try and be the replacement for the people that United just bought, which is Mm -hmm. not what we were trying to be at all. We were very strategically focused on very different markets. Um, In fact, you know, a a quick funny story, when we went into the LaGrange market, there's a giant Kia plant there, and that's pretty much the LaGrange market. And there's a, uh, at the time, there was a Herc and a United there that competed for the Kia plant. Well, when little nickel rental comes to town, we're not going to take the Kia plant from them. We can't handle mm-hmm. that. We don't carry large enough equipment to handle that. Well, they really didn't like each other and they didn't talk and they didn't share stuff, but we came to town. We're not a threat. And so, uh, and I don't remember who it was, but one of the two took our sales rep around to meet their customers, to introduce us because we weren't the threat. We were the secondary supplier. If they, if you know, the large company ran out of equipment, we're the safe bet, you know, because if not, they have to go to their, their huge competitor. Um, but if they go to us, then then they don't have to do that. And so we had this niche that we really wanted to exploit. And we'd never done the private equity before. And, you know, we were a young team. And so we thought we want to learn about this. We want to try it. And so it was multiple meetings with the advisors that we brought onto the team to really mm-hmm. dive into it and create a great, uh, I forget exactly what they call it, but a great book and a great story. Because it had to have the SWOT analysis in there, it had to have the financials, it had to have the cost, um, mm. not, not the cost to buy the business, but the cost to grow the business. It had to tell that story to get them excited and interested. And that's a long process, you know, the planning process to get it to where it's very polished. And I guess that is some penny polishing that we did um, yeah. to the uh, actually having the conversations and putting it out there and, and figure out who's interested and then getting all those people who are interested and starting to have conversations with those people. It was a, a very long and thoughtful process that I would say took at least uh, six months. Gotcha. Wow. And you had, um, obviously, so there's some activity there. You're building your book, your um, you know, words getting out a little bit. What, how did, what, talk about confidentiality. How did that play in? Who knew what, when, all that kind of thing? Um, again, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in transparency. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't want the, you know, maybe our entry-level employees to have fear. Um, they, but most of them knew by the time we were really starting to do, uh, especially get to the end of the private equity process, that we were looking for additional funds to grow the business. Um, and many of them knew my dad very well. And so a lot of it was an honest conversation about, we're not going to keep playing with his retirement too. We want to keep doing this, but we don't want to do it at his expense and his, uh, his heartburn, you know? Yep, yep. And so th- those conversations we had with, I would probably say 50% of the people 
by that point um, mm. because, you know, it, it, it was very much a team effort for us and we were either going to succeed together or not make it together. And they needed to be on board with, with the crazy things that we were doing at Nickel Rental. And one of those crazy things was to try and go get private equity and, and see where that took us. So that seemed to help. So if I'm your competition, um, if word gets to, out to me that you're looking to do something like this, I'm hearing you're looking for private equity to expand. So it's actually a, almost a perfect uh, conversation because ultimately it is your plan. It mm -hmm. is where you're headed. Um, and you're able to have open conversations with a number of people and not worry about the confidentiality because that is an issue we find with a lot of our members and, and different operators is this issue of, gosh, the, I don't want my employees to know. I don't want any of my competition to know I'm doing what I'm doing. So I think there's some hesitancy, but in the guise of expansion and yeah. investment, now it now it's becomes a little easier. Well, and, and you also have to think about the fact that, um, you know, we were giving these private equity companies and I remember sitting in my peer group meeting and actually showing them the map and all the points on that map of who we were going to target, roughly what they were going to cost, um, who where we couldn't target anybody and we were going to have to do a greenfield or a cold start. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were having those conversations even prior, prior to private equity. I was the kind of person that was always building relationships with my peers and letting them know we want to grow, you know, and in some cases it's, you know, we're friends, you know, you do a great job in your market and there's not really a opportunity for me in your market with you doing what you're doing. But when you want to retire, when you want to do something else, when you get bored, when the business gets too, too much hassle for you. I'd love to talk about that. And so mm -hmm. I've been having conversations like that um, probably almost all the way back to 2012. I wanted to keep all of those doors open. Um, and and then once we got to the point where private equity was coming on board, there were some people where we even felt comfortable saying, hey, we're looking to do a major move. And if we're able to do that, you know, I know that you're looking to sell or that you're interested in doing it the next few years. We'll be able to do that at that point. And so I'm adding you to my list that I'm giving mm -hmm. to them. They're not going to contact you or anything like that. But as you know, we would like to use you as part of our expansion plans, you know, and it's going to be a win for you. It's going to be a win for us. It's going to be a win for your team because they're going to, you know, join our team and we're going to really take care of those people who have supported you for so many different years. You know, we're not going to buy them and fire a bunch of people or change everything on them. We're going to protect what you built. And, um, you know, kind of be that good guy acquisition. And so I had a lot of those conversations throughout, you know, probably that most of that decade. Gotcha. Okay. So you're active as the owner having these conversations as a CEO. Um, obviously, when a business gets sold um, and or there's an investment that comes in, there's a cast of characters, there's, a, there's different resources available. We, um, as a peer group network, we are constantly dealing with this. I would say maybe one or two a week where we get calls asking for resource support. Um, how, how does one go about identifying who to work with, you know, the different roles of that they play and, and become valuable to you? How, how does that work for you? Um, I think a lot of it's built on trust and authenticity. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I I always try to help more than I ask for. Um, and, and if I can do that, then when I do do, do need help, um, hopefully they're there to help. Um, you know, whether it be with 
vendors, um, whether they be equipment or partners like peer groups, you know, I'm a big believer and supporter in the vendors that I choose and the partners Mm -hmm. that I choose. And so I want them to be very successful. I know they want me to be successful as well, but that's a two way street. The more success they have, the more success that we have. And so building those really close, tight relationships over time and then sticking to that to them through the hard times. Um, Mm -hmm. so let's say that the dealership has to go through a price increase and somebody else to try and take my business away is willing to, to drop the price a lot. I'm not going to change over price. Not, not in that way. Now, if we have a long-term price discrepancy, we need to talk about that. Let's say we get a bad group of machines or something goes, goes wrong. You know, we're not going to change over that. And so I get very committed, uh, to those people. Now I'll have secondary suppliers for when my primary supplier can't handle something. And mm-hmm. I, but I will tell them they're, they're secondary suppliers. And I will also tell them that we are incredibly loyal to our suppliers. And the only way to become one of those primary suppliers that we're incredibly loyal to is to build that relationship over time. Because at some point, something may change and we may need to make you a primary supplier. But it's going to take time for you to get there. Um, and so, you know, you obviously being one of those suppliers that we really trusted when we were going through that process, we were constantly bouncing, you know, this is what they're telling us, or this is the ideas that, what have you seen out there? You know, I remember we even had, uh, you helped me develop different versions of the same plan. So if we hit this level of private equity, then here's what we can do in Georgia. And then if we hit this level of private equity, this is what we can do in the Southeast. And then if we hit this level of private equity, we even had a plan for, here's a pocket of five stores we can we can get in this state, and here's a pocket in this state, and here's a pocket in this state. And then here's a whole plan about how we can manage it and, and run everything remotely using technology that rental companies didn't traditionally use yet, which we're all mm-hmm. using today, obviously. Um, but, you know, it, it was, you know, battle testing and supporting and going through those plans and getting input and connections. And, and I knew I could trust them. You know, I knew because of our relationship, for example, over the years that you were in it with me for the long haul, just as much as I was in it for you. And I didn't have to feel uncomfortable sharing something with you or telling you something or letting you know a weakness or a concern or a struggle that I was having. You were going to be there and work through that with me um, mm-hmm. as a partner, just as I would for you. And so having a lot of relationships with authentic trust um, and transparency goes such a long way. Cause again, I don't have all the right answers. I can't solve all the problems, but if I can bring the right people together to, to find the answers, we can skip steps and we can do a lot of cool things. Great. That's awesome. That's a good learning lesson. And I think a lot of our members, um, you know, they're, they're trying to decide, you know, they want to call the peer groups and hear what peer groups has to say. They also want to work with business brokers and look at sell side representation. They want to see what what's out there and available. And and frankly, you know, there's four to five individuals that I can think of um, that are active in the industry and have had tremendous success and yeah. and presentation. So so there's and a kind. There's yeah. Go ahead. To add to that really quickly, because I think that, that our situation is unique to that, uh, we didn't end up going with one of the traditional equipment rental or rental industry um, M&A folks. Uh, there are some really good ones out there. I have some good, great relationships with some of them. Um, but we didn't want to be a traditional acquisition, especially at the time. And their relationship to a national rental company didn't matter in the same way. You know, their ability to get the most out of a national rental company didn't really matter at the time. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so we actually chose somebody um, who I wouldn't always recommend because there was a, a huge education process in this, but somebody outside of the industry. We looked for somebody whose private equity experience was better than the rental experience. We could figure out the rental, we could teach them, we could sell it. Um, you know, that was more important to us than somebody who had the right connections inside the rental industry. That being said, that was that was probably one of, I wouldn't say the downfalls, but the difficulties with the whole process <laughs> is they didn't understand rental as well. And one of the hardest things that we had um, it, to do in searching for private equity was to figure out how to sell them how much money they had to invest in assets. And that that investment takes five years to pay off. That we can grow rapidly, we can create great EBITDA, but you're gonna have to put a lot of money in to do that. Um, mm -hmm. And that is a huge educational process uh, for mm -hmm. somebody. Well, it's just like what we deal with with the banks, right? So every time we have a new community bank that we've got a, uh, you know, that we might be considering as an operator. Um, there's an education process and the same thing had to happen with private equity. Now you just to move this along, because I know that, um, we only have so much time, but so you did reach a point where, um, you started to solicit to the Sunbelts of the world, um, or did they approach you? I don't really re remember how that all got started, but, um, how did that transition happen? How did you move from an investor model into the possibility of, hey, we, we may be selling the business. It, it was always part of the agreement uh, with dad um, that we were mm -hmm. going to continue to invest in growth uh, throughout this. We realized we could not be uh, a stagnant team. That just, it, it didn't excite any of us. Um, mm -hmm. And so the opportunity for even an exit to a you know traditional strategic uh, acquisition was better than just being a stagnant company. Um, that being said, we wanted to try the other first. And so the agreement that we had made with dad is that we would take six months and play this game and see what we could get. But if at the end of the six months, we didn't get to where we wanted to be, then we were going to reach out to the strategic buyers and see what their interest level was. Keeping mm -hmm. in mind, we knew they would have some interest. Um, they had been contacting us wanting to talk uh, for years, you know, and would check in on me frequently. And it just, you know, wasn't something that we were interested in having the conversation for. So we had that list, we were prepared to make those contacts, we had the people ready, we just we kind of put that list on hold, while we focused on the list that might be more true traditional private equity. And so gotcha. we got to the uh, December, um, I want to say just a few days before Christmas, when uh, the process kind of finally ended and we got all of the offers on the table for the people who were going to do the offers. And they they really just weren't quite there. Um, you know, one of them uh, was decent. And if it had been just me, then it's probably what we would have done. Um but to really honor dad's contribution and, and really get a fair price for the business, we needed to consider something else. And so uh, knowing that that was coming about a week in advance, uh, we had uh, kind of hit go on the broker reaching out to the national companies. Um, and the broker in that same meeting kind of went through, this is what we've got. Um, but uh, we do have a incredibly strong interest from one of the strategic partners. Um, so, 
you know, honestly, that was a bit of shock to me um, because we had worked really hard on this and, and the team was really hoping to pull this off. Um, but, you know, we were going to consider what that was and, and what that looked like. And so, um, the, you know, they, they wanted exclusivity on, on the conversation. And I, and I want to make sure and only say things that, that I should say and I'm allowed to say. Um, yeah. But they, they, they were very interested and wanted to work very hard to make this work. And so, mm-hmm. you know, again, leadership team, let's sit down. Let's talk about this. Um, Dad, I don't think was even in on that conversation. Um mm-hmm. Because it was up to us. He was trusting us to do what we needed to do. And, you know, we kind of sat through it and, and went through the conversation like, well, you know, it's it's not what we had planned on. It's not what we expected, but it's mm-hmm. not necessarily bad. So, you know, let's see what happens. Uh, let's have the conversation um, because maybe it'll work and and maybe it is the right decision for, for other reasons. And so um, uh, we started at that time, obviously, working with Sunbelt. Um I want to say that we had our first conversation with them in person um, just after the 1st of January. Um, It, again, was a very unique conversation with them, just like it was unique with the broker, uh, because dad did not meet with them, even though he's the largest shareholder when they came to town. Um, I met with them, with the broker, for a significant period of time. uh, But then the leadership team came in and met with them. And they said it was the first time anybody had ever brought their leadership team in to discuss price, to discuss value, to discuss who's doing what, to to share what they were great at. But you know, one of the things that I was very much a believer in is, you know, I wouldn't say anybody can run equipment, but equipment is just the widget again. And we had great people, and I wanted to show off our team because that's mm-hmm. what they were getting. They were getting people who could make tough calls, could hear difficult information. Could, could work on things that might work out or might not for them. Uh, think mm-hmm. very strategically and take risk. And those are hard people to find. And I wanted them to see that because that was a big part of the value of the company. So they sat in on the meeting and they did that. And things went uh, really great from there. And we may end up backtracking too here. But um, then, uh, so we decided to do that. And then 45, la- 45 days later, uh, we opened a Sunbelt on February 14th. Um, and... Uh, it was incredibly fast. They, I think they said it was their fastest one except for a kind of more of a property acquisition that they did. But we were ready. You know, it, it, we didn't have we weren't running the business to sell or to be more profitable. Yeah. We were running the business to grow at 30 or 40 percent per year. And everything was in place to do that. And um, all the financials were ready. Everything was clean. Going through due diligence was simple. You know, we, we had a, like a 60 minute turnaround on any questions or financials or anything that they wanted. And wow. so it was just a super easy process to get there. And we, you know, we didn't want to, we liked growth and we liked moving quickly. And so we didn't want to slow the process. You know, if, if we're going to go this route, we're going to do it. We're going to do it fast and we're going to do it well, just like we do everything else. And so that's exactly what we did. That's excellent. And, and, you know, just backtracking slightly, but um, I liked that you mentioned that you know in december you had all the offers so you clearly went through a process with your support team to solicit outside interest um put requirements on them from a calendar perspective that hey we need to see this by this time this by this time so instead of just having one person walk in and show interest in your business you did have the benefit of multiple um coming in and looking and yeah some of them might have been way off from others in Mm -hmm. terms of price tag 
but at least you know you felt like you went through the process pr appropriately yep. um which i know that a lot of our uh, members and people that we work with um they sometimes don't get that same feeling they feel like wow we have an opportunistic buyer who happens to be here and gosh we got to evaluate this but is there anybody else is there anything else in the mm -hmm. landscape so so you went through the process extremely fast and obviously all the kudos to you and your leadership team the your ability to set yourself up in a way where you can address every issue um at what point did the employees find out the line workers is it something where you wait till the transaction's over because i know i had yeah. sold several collision centers in my past and i did not tell my employees till after i sold the business and yeah. then I did a meeting with them. Did you do something similar? Or? Yeah, so we, we were up a couple against a couple different deadlines. Um, <laughs> one, uh, we wanted to make sure and close before the ARA show, um, because at that time I was ARA leadership, and I didn't want to feel authentic, inauthentic doing some things at the show, knowing that we're about to be Sunbelt and kind of claiming this nickel rental thing. And realistically, I wanted to go there um, and show off Sunbelt and show off uh, some of the good things that they were doing and be an example of how they could do a good acquisition with a, a strong company with strong leadership. Mm -hmm. um, so we were up against that deadline. And certainly you want to move uh, quickly with employees. Uh, we did have a couple rumors get out. We did not share that it was going to be a strategic decision or strategic acquisition um, mm -hmm. with almost anybody other than that core leadership team, because that was going to be a scary process uh, for them. Sure. And we wanted to know a lot of the details and have a lot more things prepared before mm -hmm. that process happened. Um, so on, I want to say it was the Friday before, um, and I think it was Tuesday that we were going to go live with the acquisition and open a Sunbelt. Uh, so it may have been Thursday before. So I think it was probably Thursday before that we were close enough to the final deal that we were allowed to tell employees and it was essentially done. I, I don't remember if the contract was completely signed or not. In fact, mm -hmm. I don't think it was, um, but we all agreed it was the time to tell employees. So uh, my dad and I uh, uh, drove and in some cases, some of the leadership team drove to every store individually, uh, sat people down in small groups and told them the story. Uh, about how we got here, where we're at, uh, where we're going, um, and, and what's going to happen next, and how important it was that they were taken care of, and that the leadership team had made this decision together, that it wasn't just a Tom Nickel trying to make a bunch of money decision, and how this was going to benefit them, and it has benefited them, those things have rung true. Mm -hmm. um, it was an emotional time. It was probably one of the hardest days that I've ever experienced. It was, it, it was a long day, um, but it was a really important day to be there for the team and for the people and give them that, that comfort. Uh, mm -hmm. The next day, Sunbelt did a, a great job. They, they had a event at a local place that they invited uh, spouses to as well. Um, where uh, they, you know, wanted to show off what was going to happen, start answering a lot of those questions. They had HR there. Uh, they went through a, a nice presentation. They had a great video. Um, they were very much on nickel rental now powered by Sunbelt. Um, they even got us some special limited edition shirts that had Sunbelt on the breastplate, but it had nickel rental on, on the shoulder because they were yeah, wanting wow. what made us great. Um, but obviously transition into the bigger brand and add the value that the bigger brand could. 
And so there was there was certainly a little bit of fear and tumultuousness in that process. And ARA was an interesting experience because nobody really expected us to to be Sunbelt when I showed up at ARA. My my running joke was, uh, we're still green. It's just a different color of green. <laughs> it's a little a little more hunter than it used to be. Um, yeah. You know, but. Uh, yeah, there were some people that we did lose in the process. Um, very, very few. All of the operational team uh, stayed on. Uh, the people that we did lose were some of more, more, I would call them support, but most people call them uh, corporate team. Um, mm-hmm. There were some of the corporate team they were able to work in, in different ways. Um, but certainly we had some people, we were doing some um, stay-at-home fractional remote workers, which wouldn't fit into Sunbelt's model at all. Uh, but luckily, we did well enough on the transaction that we were able to give them really good severance packages. They were amazing people. Most of them had jobs within a month and had many more months of pay still coming in uh, from us that you know almost made it a bonus. And um, so those conversations were difficult, but it, it, it worked out well for them, uh, worked out well for us. It worked out well really for all of the team. And it was very important that not, nobody really got hurt during that process. And Sunbelt worked very hard to do the same thing too. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, that's great. And, you know, as, a, as kind of a um, summary to that, um, I, I, since that time, have you been, have you helped others with selling their business or have you uh, had conversations with people who are looking to exit? Have you been able to provide some guidance on, to anyone, or is it Definitely. still too soon? Um, okay. You know, I have a unique perspective having lived through it. I also lived through another acquisition of a, a smaller contracting firm that I earn, owned uh, prior mm-hmm. to that, and you know, it, it's a it's an emotional and strange process for an owner, uh, especially an owner that is not retiring uh, in the process, gotcha. and and so. Um, I think it's important to not not sell them and not doing it because, you know, I don't regret doing it. I definitely would do the exact same thing again. And it was the right decision for our team, for myself. But there are a lot of unexpected things that happen in the process um, that you don't think about. You know, a lot of people describe it as sending your kid off to college. You know, they're Mm -hmm. ready, they're prepared, they're good to go and they're going to do great. And my team there is doing great. Um, and, and it's so exciting to see the awesome things that they do, but it's a complete departure for your life. And, you know, even personally, um, Sunbelt is a, you know, they were very kind to me. They treated me very well. Uh, and I did not last very long at Sunbelt. You know, I, I, my intention was to last a fair amount longer at Sunbelt than, than I actually did, but I very quickly learned two things that, that you don't know without hindsight. One of those is I'm a terrible policy enforcer. Um, Mm -hmm. I ask why way too much, you know, and if you've already got the problem solved, which a billion dollar company does, you know, and and you're a small company absorbed into an operational structure, you really just need to kind of pass along the, the knowledge that we already have. And you don't Mm -hmm. need somebody asking why constantly or trying to do new things constantly or wanting to go rogue constantly, but that's just, it's me. That's my personality. That's what I do. And so that's something that I didn't expect and didn't know. Um, I, you know, I, I really did want to stay on longer to help them with the transition. At the same time, when you work for yourself, nobody ever offers you a job. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not something I ever thought of as well. And so when I left uh, or when I was acquired by Sunbelt and I was part of that team, 
there were people calling, offering me jobs and things to do and places to go. And one of the things that we'd always wanted as a family was to be able to live abroad and to give our kids that experience of experiencing different cultures. And me, the challenge of, of leading different cultures. And you, never in the rental industry did we expect that to be able to happen. But mm-hmm. I got a call where they were, hey, if you know somebody like you with your skill set and your experience, you'd want to live abroad, we have an opportunity. And those are things that I hadn't really considered. And, and I still feel a little bit bad for Sunbelt that I wasn't able to give them uh, more time and do more things for them. Um, mm-hmm. And I hope that my team has been able to achieve all the things that they wanted. But it just wasn't a good fit for me. And it, it took a while personally to kind of, mourn that decision and mourn that process because your whole world has changed. Um, I knew what I was going to do a year before. And, um, you know, for me, I I have a personal mission statement. It's to lead people to greatness and empower them to do it for others. Lead because Mm -hmm. it's because I feel like that's a core strength of mine. Uh, greatness because it's ambiguous. Everybody's greatness is different. Yours and mine and my my spouse's and all of those are different. And so whatever your greatness is and empower them to do it for others so that has a ripple effect. And so there was a process for me of going, you know, this doesn't change the rest of my life. Um, it doesn't change my mission in life. It just means I need to figure out how to reapply that mission. And so that was a, a really great growth and learning opportunity for me that I wouldn't have gotten. And the multicultural experience that I wouldn't have gotten had I continued to run uh, the company and, and the opportunity that, that some of the people on the team have had now that they wouldn't have gotten um, was really, really valuable. But it is a it is a transition, man. <laughs> and, it, and it's helpful to have people there along your side. I had an executive coach at the time too, who walked through a lot of that with me that was, was very critical. And so whenever anybody comes to me with the idea of selling or what that's like, you know, I want to give them the good, the hard, and, and the bad to some extent, but there wasn't a whole lot of bad. So that they're prepared for that. And they don't necessarily have to learn some of the lessons I learned. They can skip steps as well and, and understand right. where that's going to go. And so it's not necessarily whether you do it or not. It's more that adding more color to the picture so that they understand maybe some of the best practices, but what it's really like and where they'll be and what opportunity that creates and what struggle that creates because they're different. And depending on what you want out of this next stage, you know, it, it may or may not have those things for you. Excellent. Well, we appreciate you being here and tackling this topic. It's a personal topic. Um, you know, one last question, and I got to cut you loose. But uh, how about rental? Would you ever consider going back to rental? Did you ever? Well, see- I would say that I am still in rental. Um, uh, I mean, I, 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 I did consider for a while whether the rental industry would be a place that I would stay, or whether I would, you know, my skill set would be better fits for other industries, but. Rental is just a community. I really, really love the rental industry. I think it's about to start expanding into more of the professional side of the sharing economy and that rental is going to be a, become a bigger part of the world and a bigger mm-hmm. industry and more, you'll see more things are rented. Um, but that being said, it's just a community that I love and it's one that I, I don't know that I can leave. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I get asked quite often, are you going to go back to and open another rental store, which might be more pointed where your, your question was going. And Correct. Yeah. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say no. Um, I, I think that there could be some interest there or working with a larger scale rental company or a company that's scaling quickly or those types of things. But to go open a rental store from scratch, it's probably not something that, that I would ever do. Um, you know, and I really enjoy the technology side of things. And I really enjoy kind of 
elevating rental to to a bigger thing in a bigger place. And so will that draw me back into traditional rental one day? I, I wouldn't say no. I've learned that trying to plan 10 or 20 years out is a risky thing. You can have ideas and paths that you might go. Um, but, you know, I, to spend a lot of part of time, and I think this is a, a learning thing that I had through the process too, um, to spend more time enjoying the process and where you're at. There were so many times at, at Nickel where we were doing just awesome things and amazing things and having a ton of fun. And I was always focused on next year, five years from now, when we had 20 locations. And not that you shouldn't have that long-term strategic thought, but you shouldn't mm-hmm. invest so much in that that you don't enjoy the ride. And for most business owners, especially business owners where fun things are happening and you're growing, the ride is the most important part. That's the most enjoyable part. And don't miss that part because you never know what that next stage is going to be. It could be bad, it could be good, it could be amazing. It doesn't really matter because today's what matters. And so think about the future, think about where you're going and be open to possibility but enjoy the the fun you're having today and the business and the team that's around you today. And if you don't enjoy that, then you need to go do something else. You need to call Dan and talk about an exit if you don't enjoy what you're doing. But if you enjoy it, then enjoy it and consider the future, but live a little bit more in the moment. That is excellent words of wisdom from Josh Nickel. Josh, thanks for joining us today, everyone. Josh Nickel. Thanks. <laughs> we appreciate you being here. And uh Stay tuned for more information about upcoming Peer Talk podcasts. Thank you. You've been listening to Peer Talk from Peer Executive Groups, produced and directed by Noah Crowley and hosted by Dan Crowley. Subscribe to this podcast for notifications of future episodes of Peer Talk.